are listening to the JMCC's Scientist in the Spotlight podcast. My name is Kate Weeks and I'm a social media editor for the JMCC. Today I am joined by Professor Lucy Carrier. Professor Carrier leads the functional genomics of cardiomyopathies group at the Institute of Experimental Pharmacology and Toxicology, University Medical Center of Hamburg, and is one of the world's leading experts on hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or HCM. Welcome Lucy. Thank you. Hello, Kate. I'm very happy to participate in this podcast. It's an opportunity to speak about myself and also about, I know about collaboration and and mentoring. So I'm happy to be here and to answer your questions. Thank you so much for joining me. So I'd like to start by asking about your scientific journey. When did you decide that you wanted to pursue a career in research and what made you want to become a researcher? Thank you for this question. Actually, at first, I didn't want to do research at all. I didn't think about this even. I wanted to be a sport teacher. Uh-huh. And I had a competition to enter the school and it didn't work. So I was very frustrated. And then I decided to apply for something which is close to uh, physiotherapy to be able to, to, to start a, a new uh, competition school application. So uh, I, I went to the medical school and I said, oh, la, la, no, it's not for me thousand individuals in the same room, I don't want this. So I switched to um, biology. And it, it's, this was the start of my journey. I met my best friend, which is, who is still my best friend today. And we studied together. It was at the University of Grenoble in France. Still in the beginning, I didn't want to do research. I didn't know what I'm going to do. I thought maybe I, I would be a, a professor or whatever. This was not clear. But then, peu à peu, by doing more uh, specific uh, um, uh, courses, I realized that I really like the, to, to understand the physiology. Mainly, I was interested in physiology at first. So actually, I went to uh, a lab uh, in Grenoble, who was actually working on the skeletal muscle, and they were using uh, different biophysical uh, uh, approaches. But me, I wanted to do research with a medical interest. So my supervisor, who was very uh, open mind, he said, it's not a problem if you want to do uh, something related to skeletal muscle and disease. I know several uh, neurologists and uh, we can find a project if you want on malignant hyperthermia. And um, so this was very interesting because I was already in contact with different uh, uh, clinicians and during my thesis, what I did actually, I used skinned myofibrils and isolated sarcoplasmic reticulum vesicles from frog, pig, a model of uh, malignant hyperthermia, and also human muscles. So I revealed during this time an increase, a marked increase in the calcium-induced calcium release in affected samples. And actually, this was my basis to enter the genetic fields a few years later because uh, later, they found that the, uh, the rhenodine receptor 1, which is a specific isoform for the skeletal muscle, was discovered as a disease gene for malignant hyperthermia. And during this time, during my first year of PhD, I had the chance to participate in a meeting and have a poster, handmade poster, mm-hmm. to uh, present my data. And this was a meeting of the French uh, Association Against Myopathy. This was in 1986. At the time, in front of me, 
Kevin Campbell presented the discovery, the, the dystrophin as a disease gene for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. So for me, this was like a boom in my brain. And I thought, my God, I want to do the same. I want this. So I, I made my PhD thesis in Grenoble. And then the, the president of my jury was Katie Schwartz. And in a way, she fell in love for me. And she proposed me to come to Paris to do a postdoctoral fellow ship and uh, which I did but she said you know she took out her glasses and she said you know skeletal muscle is very interesting and very advanced but cardiac muscle is also <laughs> good a uh, project to go so actually I moved to Paris I think uh, at the end of 1989 and I did uh, start under the supervision of Katie Schwartz and of course, Katie Schwartz was known at the time as one, if not the, founder of molecular biology in cardiology. So what I did with her first, I studied the shift of the isoforms of sarcomeric actins and myosinavid chains in rat and human cardiac development. But Katie, she has a secret for the move towards the genetics of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. She didn't tell me this immediately because <laughs> In a way, she could not do it in this uh, last, uh, it was uh, La Riboisier Hospital. And she wanted this, and since I wanted to do genetics, she chose me to start this uh, journey with her. Fantastic. This was really an exciting time. And then I got a permanent position at the CNRS to work there. And then we started to, to do this genetics, and we moved to, la, to the hospital Pitié-Sacrétrière to do this job. So I was 31 when I got a permanent position as a researcher, which was a big chance. I mean, in our days, we know that it's very difficult to get a permanent position. I got two kids in the meantime, and then I became a director of research in 2002. And this was also a story because at the time, I remember we had to move from one institute building to, to the other, and uh, they were speaking about genetics and so and somehow she, I was not really involved in this discussion. And she said, oh, don't worry, don't worry. What do you want to do? I said, me, I don't want to do genetics anymore. I want to study the functional consequences of the mutation. And she said, no problem, go ahead. It's your, it's your project, do whatever you want. So this was very important as a, a supervision to allow me to do what I want to do. She, she sounds yeah. like an amazing, an amazing woman. Can you... Describe your relationship with her and, and why she was such an important mentor. How did she shape your, well, not just your career, but how did she influence I you think, as, a, as a researcher? I think, um, yeah, this is a very good question. I think when I came to her, she was about 50 or turning 50 or 51 or two. I don't remember exactly. But before I came, I think she did all herself. She was going to the meeting. She was writing the papers. She was, and then somehow... The people who were already uh, maybe middle career investigators, they wanted to take independence and, and it was difficult for them because she did not let them go. Mm -hmm. And then when I came, there was also another postdoctoral fellow with me uh, who was a uh, Ken Boiler. I think she decided this differently. She really pushed on earth on the stage to make it. And she pushed her to write papers, review and to go to meetings. So this was very important. So she was amazing. I mean, she was a, somehow a second mother for me, my scientific mother. I mean, she, she just supported all what I want to do. So this was really a chance. Wonderful. Yeah. 
So your your work with Dr. Schwartz sequencing human cardiac myosin binding protein C and identifying mutants that may cause hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. I mean, that was a really important paper that that changed the field. What are some of the key findings since that that time that have really contributed to our understanding of cardiac myosin binding protein C and its role in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? Yeah, so actually it started even before because when I worked with Katie Schwartz, we used the classical uh, genetic an analysis with linkage analysis to find a new uh, locus for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. But I think one of the important uh, steps first was in early 90s when the group of uh, Christine Seidman identified the first missense mutation in the beta myosinovich gene. And this was a surprise for all the scientific community who started to work on this because we all saw that it will be more like a growth hormone gene and then it was a uh, sarcomeric component. And then we thought, okay, it's all done. It's one mutation, mutation in the most ab uh, abundant Mazinevich chain of the cardiac muscles. It's all set. And as soon as we started to do this uh, genetic uh, linkage analysis, we did not find the uh, linkage to this beta Mazinevich engine. So we had to search for uh, other uh, locus, and this was really a hard work. But we, are, we were really a good team and it was very long to identify whether one gene is linked to a chromosomal locus. At the time we were always asking ourselves, is it linked or not? Is it linked or not? And the process was very long. In our days, this is a, we can do this so quickly. Nothing to compare to today. So I think the first was the identification of uh, Mazinevichen. And then, of course, we identified the CMH4 locus, meaning around the, the myosin-binding protein C. And I remember, how did we work with myosin-binding protein C? This was a very, I think it was the day before Christmas. Mm -hmm. Matthias Gauter from Heidelberg contacted Katie Schwartz, and he said, I have your gene in your locus. And he said, it's a sarcomeric protein. And uh, we said, okay, that's the that's one. And we collaborated together. He gave us a cDNA sequence. And then we worked on this cDNA sequence and we, we used primers to amplify the human genomic DNA. And it's such as we constructed the, the human structure and the sequencing. I mean, this was one of my most important papers, that's true. It sounds like and a very exciting time. And I, I love that Matthias reached out to you guys and, and had an answer to, to start exploring. Um, it leads nicely into a bit of a discussion about collaboration. Um, you, you have many collaborators all over the world. How, how important has collaboration been for your research? Yeah, I mean, collaboration are very important, that's for sure. For, on, on the one hand, for the complementarity in expertise, but also for fun. I mean, I think the basis is to have the full respect and trust in each other's and uh, collaboration in, in a journey, journey of uh, young scientists start often in the lab or with friends uh, who are working in another labs. But then the attendance to meetings, scientific papers and read scientific papers out, also out of the tracks, participation in scientific networks increase the opportunity for collaboration. This would be my advice to young investigators, but I'm sure they know that. I think to read a lot, to go to meeting, to ask questions, this is a, this is a basis for uh, I mean good scientific uh, um, journey and also uh, collaborations. 
I mean, for me, uh, I had many collaborations, first with the clinicians. I mean, I wanted to do a basic scientific project with medical interest. So the clinicians, they were very important. And uh, in Grenoble, with the neurologist, but then in Paris, with, uh, with the cardiologist. And we set up several networks based on this, between clinicians and, and, uh, and uh, basic scientists. I think one important one, which I created here, actually, together with um, uh, cardiologist Monica Patton at the uh, University Medical Center of Hamburg. We initiated a long time ago already a clinical and experimental center for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And uh, this was new uh, in northern Germany, so this was a northern center. So this allowed to diagnose more than 500 index cases and to get genetic analysis when it was possible, if the patients gave consent. And importantly, the interaction with the cardiac surgery department allowed to receive more than 50 septal myectomies of HCM patients and skin biopsies from which we were able to reprogram 22 into IPSC. This was really an exciting uh, um, project involving cardiologists, cardiac surgeons, and uh, the experimental pharmacology. Then, of course, there, there is, um, I have been uh, part of several uh, scientific networks which were supported by different foundations or agencies, such as the German Research Foundation, the Leduc Foundation, and the European Commission. I think the Leduc Foundation was one of the most important for me, for different reasons, also for um, how I felt that it should be the right moment for applying. So um, Le Duc Foundation, everybody knows, it has been created actually in Paris in 1996 by the French entrepreneur Jean Le Duc and his wife uh, Sylviane. They decided to start with by awarding European grants on cardiovascular research and actually I was lucky to be part of the first one. It was named Eurogen Heart Failure and it was dedicated to the genetics of hypertrophic and dilated cardiomyopathies in 1999. This is a long time ago already. <laughs> and it involves uh, clinicians such as uh, McKenna and Komajda and basic scientists such as Katie Schwartz and Hans-Peter Bosberg. Actually, for me, our first important paper within this network, which is actually my most cited paper, more than 800 times, was dedicated to Jean Le Duc and published in circulation and we showed the distribution of disease gene and spectrum of mutation in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So this was also very important, it was 2003. Then I was also part of other reducts, but I think two were important for me. First, this was during the ISHR World Congress in Kyoto. There was a session on proteolytic systems, in which Jeff Robbins from Cincinnati, Marco Sandri from Padova, Matthias Gautel, I talked about this already from London, and I, we gave a talk. And at the end of the session, I told them that I realized that we would be the ideal group to create a new Leduc Consortium. It looked like everybody, everybody agreed on this. And then one month later, I was at the meeting of the BCVS in Palm Spring. I also asked Joe Hill whether he would like to be part of it. And at first he said, no, 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 I don't want any more because he was rejected twice. But at the end, 
because he was afraid that we would get it without him, he accepted to be on board. So we were selected directly the first time. So this was um, a network on prototoxicity. It was a really nice group, and the young investigators, they were really uh, engaged as well. And finally, I would like to speak about the current LUDUC network that I'm, I coordinate with Ben Prosser from Philadelphia. And this is a LUDUC on the cytoskeleton regulation of cardiomyocyte homeostasis in health and disease. And this LUDUC actually results from funny circumstances. Indeed, my best friend from Grodom, Marie-Jo Moutin, with whom I studied, and, uh, and I studied uh, biology, she's working on microtubules in neurology. And she discovered actually the tubulin carboxypeptidase complex some years ago. And one day she invited Ben Prosser for a seminar. And afterwards, she called me to know whether I know this brilliant, brilliant and very nice cardiovascular scientist. I think it was in 2015 or 16, and uh, I did not know him, and Thomas Eschenhagen neither. So I checked his publications and invited him for the ISHR European section meeting in Hamburg. And during this meeting, we discussed the possibility to create a new Leduc. He was not against, but he found that he's, too, he's certainly too young for it. So we decided to combine our respective expertise on microtubules for him and autophagy lysosomal pathway for me for a transatlantic network. And uh, it includes now Yolanda van der Velden from Amsterdam, Isaac Kehat from Haifa, Ken Margulis from Philadelphia, Marie-Jo Moutin, my friend from Grenoble, and uh, she's a bit the external part of, she's not cardio at all, and Giulio Agnetti from, uh, the, from Baltimore. And uh, we also asked um, the cardiologist Caroline Hoth from Boston to be on board as well. So we received this grant last year and we started now, I mean in 2021, in this corona time. Nevertheless, we had several meetings by Zoom and it's a wonderful team and uh, with several complementarities. And I'm sure that it will bring the ECIs towards a good scientific career, at least the wish to continue. And finally, what I wanted to say is that, I mean, the persons are very important in collaboration, right? You, you, you need to like each other if you want to have a collaboration. And, and also, these are opportunities. Sometimes you meet someone, you like this person. I think it, if, if you don't like the person, you cannot collaborate nicely. So here in the Institute, I'm also um, in an environment which I did not have in France because it's a university a medical center. So we, we, we have many uh, medical uh, students who would like to come for one year experimental thesis. And this is very important because it allows them to do the experiment themselves yes. and to know what they want to do in the future in, um, clinician statute. We have also bachelor, master and PhD students, postdoctoral fellows, of course, but also we have also young persons just after high school who would like to perform one year in the lab to know what they are going to study. And these persons, they are really, really engaged as well and after one year, maybe they completely stop. I think it's uh, the environment with a mix of different backgrounds, medics, basic researchers, technicians, and a panel of different uh, young uh, students and postdoctoral fellows is the best for uh, establishing collaboration. You, you've talked quite a lot about engaging with clinicians. 
Do you have any advice for people who might be based either in an academic environment or an institute that doesn't have connections with a, a hospital or a, or a clinical setting? You know, if, if they're really trying to, well, either get samples or, or get clinical perspectives on their work, how would you recommend uh, initiating a collaboration with a, with a clinician? That's a good question. Well, I mean, as a young uh, scientist, I think you should ask you should ask your supervisor whether he knows or she knows or they know <laughs> um, clinicians who could be uh, helpful for their projects. If not, I think still reading papers and contact the the corresponding author to ask simply. Sometimes it's, we can simply ask, okay, I saw your paper, it was very interesting, I would like to see the detail of the differential expression, expressed genes in your study, can you send me please your uh, Excel file? And in general, we do it. So I think it's the same for the samples. And uh, for example, for the septolmyectomies, I mean, uh, we had a nice uh, European grant together with Yolanda van der Velden, Corrado Pogesi, Steve Marstons and others. And this was based on septolmyectomies. So we started with a septolmyectomy of patients with hypertrophic angiopathy. And then we distributed these uh, septolmyectomies around Europe. And every uh, group did something different. So um, well, this is to say that uh, it's possible. And I think it, it's also possible just to ask, write an email and ask. I think uh, this is uh, also a very simple way of, com of communication to get uh, what the, the young investigator would like to get. Fantastic. To finish up, what has been the most rewarding aspect of your career and what's been the most challenging aspect? Well, there are not only one most rewarding aspect of my career. <laughs> That's for sure. I think, um, first of all, I think the supervisor and mentor is, or mentor is very important. I was happy to, to have had a very open-minded and smart supervisor and mentors, Michel Villas in Grenoble and Katie Schwartz in Paris. And uh, they believed in me and supported me, my career, supported my career um, wishes. That's very important. Second, uh, I was lucky to have had a technician in Paris, Nicolas Vignier, who told me to stop doing the experiments and just to concentrate <laughs> on the concept and the future experiment of the project. I think I was 35 or 6, 36, I think, and he, he really gave me the chance to develop my uh, PI uh, <laughs> yes. step. Do you miss being in the lab? Do you miss lab work? Ever? I mean, no, it's okay now because I'm I'm very happy. No, I don't I don't miss uh, lab work honestly. What I like to still do is to go to the confocal, mm -hmm. and uh, but no, honestly not. I mean I did a, a lot before, but I was very happy to 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 help the young ones in the beginning, and then it has been a pro normal process that someone else showed the experiment to the others, yes, and I have some some things I, I don't do myself. I don't know even how it works, but <laughs> no, I mean, uh, for example, uh, what I'm going to present on Monday for uh, during the the ISHR GMCC uh, uh, webinar has been done by a postdoctoral fellow, and he's the expert and not me. That's for sure. 
Okay, so this was the second point. The, the third um, rewarding aspect was to develop a research team with talented and engaged students, postdoctoral fellows and technicians, and also to support them in their career development. I think uh, I did all what I could but uh, um, to, to, to help them and to see how they develop, how they become peu, peu independent. And finally, to bring ideas and questions into a story and bring it to meetings and publications, of course. This is always uh, good. The most challenging aspect for me starts with, of course, my personal life, to move to another country with my project and start building a again a team. So because um, I had two kids with a Frenchman, and I moved to, to Hamburg on my own, which my kids didn't want to follow at first. They were still very young, six and eight, six and nine. And uh, they didn't come immediately. So I was in two different uh, labs in Paris and in Hamburg every two weeks. Wow. This was uh, quite challenging, but it works finally. So the, the other aspect which uh, is very challenging is to get funded for projects. That's uh, always a problem. Then to bring young scientists to a successful career. This is not easy because of the number of positions, because if you work in the university medical center, you need to have a certain number of publications as first or last to, be, to, to, to get your habilitation in Germany. And then there is not so many professorship positions. And I think we are missing something in between for the scientists, medical scientists or basic scientists who would like to stay in research, but they don't want to become professors. So I think something is missing, at least in Germany, something is missing yes. here. And the first point was also to organize a large scientific meeting, the yes. ICHI Open <laughs> section in Hamburg. I, I was really concentrated in this with a, a, a secretary here and to find the financial support for. But I did not regret, it was a really fantastic meeting. And finally, I want to say this is the most challenging aspect for PIs. We have the big challenge, which is to let the early career investigator or middle career investigators go. Often, if we have a very good student, we are happy to find support for them for a postdoctoral fellowship because we know them and we know what they are able uh, to do. However, however, I think on the long term we do not help them. They should live after the PhD thesis and other environments are always good to make a, a pass for a nice uh, scientific career. So this, this is uh, what I would like to finish with. So you asked me what, what has been the most rewarding aspect and the most challenging aspect of my career. You see, there are some more than one. <laughs> But of course, I did not speak about science here, but I mean, for me, as you said in the introduction, is to, to establish the entire human structure and sequence of Mysimani protein C3 was really wonderful. And I have to say that it's from, I would like to finish with this because I focus my life on this protein, most of my life, but not only, of course, but when we identified the first mutation in 1995, together with uh, Katie Schwartz and Matthias Gautel and others, and Giselle Bonn, of course, uh, in Paris, I thought from the beginning that I want to treat the patients. And uh, now, I'm very happy to tell 
that uh, after uh, several try to make um, translation on our own with large animal model of HCM, which did not work, I'm very happy that the company Dynacore took over this project together with uh, Biomarine to bring Mysimani protein C3 gene replacement therapy towards first in patients. And wow. they will do Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> I hope it works. And uh, I'm really supportive. I'm part of the SAB uh, Scientific Advisory uh, Board of Dynacore. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward for this first in man one day. So for me, this will be a bit like the cycle will be uh, finished. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Lucy, for sharing your story. And it's been really fascinating hearing about your career and, and your science. And what strikes me is that there's such a big focus on people in your life. And I think that's really great. Trainees, collaborators, people coming into the lab. It's, it's really nice to hear that people are such an important part of your, of your career. So thank you. Thank you so much, Kate. It was very really nice to discuss with you. Thank you.